Hello there! This show contains material which a truly free society would neither fear nor suppress. The language and concepts contained herein will not cause eternal torment in the place where the guy with the horns and pointed stick conducts his business. Hello, everyone. What it is, my brother from another mother. <laughs> Got a guy at work who says that all the time. Are you serious? Yeah, and I'm actually kind of tired of hearing it. <laughs> Only because he literally, he, he'll say it like, my brother from another mother. You know, he's putting a lot of color into it, and it's like, okay, that was sort of funny the first time, and still funny the hundredth time a little bit, but not so much, and now I just don't like it at all. All right, I'll say it every time then. That's cool. At least you didn't say what's up, Chuck. <laughs> What's in the bag, Dad? This is Rich Wilgus, bloodthirsty vegetarian number one half. <laughs> I guess I'm number two. You're always number two. <laughs> this is John. What's up? So, you know, the the end of the road case saga has almost... We're actually there, I think. Because I think all of our listeners were on the edge of their collective seat. Because not only did uh, the case go back... They sent a call tag for it, and they sent it to the wrong address, which was really cool. I mean, it was just one mistake after another by them. And then I got the new case in, which John carved the foam today so that it would hold the microphones and everything quite nicely. So we've come full circle. The circuit is now complete. <laughs> you got any rebel friends? I just don't know if they've credited my, my account yet with the $100 that they owe me. But there must be something karmically in balance in my life right now because I had a, a small car problem. I thought it was a transmission thing. I got a manual transmission in my Saturn. That's not a small problem. Right. And I was afraid that it would you know become a big problem, especially since I have to drive to Syracuse you know, a couple times a month to come here and all that. So I wanted to nip that in the bud. So I called them up, you know, I, it, the noise was so obvious, I didn't take them for a drive and go, hear that, hear that, mm-hmm. hear that, because I figured, how could they miss it? <laughs> they how, missed it. How could they miss it, right? So I drop the car off, I'm late for work, uh, a buddy of mine from work drops me off, not the one who says, my mother from another brother. <laughs> he says would, it sometimes, actually, he does say it sometimes. But uh, so I get, you know, they're like, well, it was your clutch pivot you know, by the pedal. And I went, well, I don't think so because I know the difference between a noise that comes from where my feet are and a noise that comes from kind of in the engine bay. Or in your colon. Exactly. And sure enough, when I got there, it took two seconds for me to hear the noise again. And of course, service was gone by the time I got there. You killed someone in another life. That's what it is. So I went in and I told the poor woman at the cashier's desk, I mean, it's under warranty, it's all good, but... I told her I was a little a little perturbed that they didn't get it right. So uh, I told them I'm going to have to have a car because I don't want to be late for work again. Did they give you a loaner? Well, my appointment's this Tuesday. So, yeah, they will have one for me. And, however, a friend of the family who's a mechanic took it for a ride with me, and he is of the opinion that it's not the transmission at all. Uh, he thinks it's a broken motor mount or maybe – uh, in the strut tower, there's a shim or a, what do they call those? A um, wedge. Oh, <laughs> that's the word, yeah. 
what, what's the word I'm looking for? They're kind of like nylon and they're uh, a bushing or bushing. something. There's a bushing worn out. And actually, when I go over railroad tracks and things like that, I tend to find that that's probably the case because when you add a vertical component to the motion of the car, it makes the noise more. So there's probably some play vertically in there. So anyway. Once we'll, you go we'll vertical, you never go. Nothing rhymes with vertical. <laughs> Someone should put together a website of everything that rhymes with everything else. You put a word in and it'll come up, come up with rhyme words. I remember. Automatic poetry. I remember years ago, my dad was telling me about some 50s singer who wrote a song and couldn't find a word that rhymed with purple. <laughs> so he really, really stretched and he came up with maple circle or something <laughs> like that. I don't think anything rhymes with orange. I think that's a, a, a known fact. Could be. It could be. Yeah. I think that I think that uh, it could be. Well, so hopefully everything will become in balance karmically in my life and the car will get fixed and they'll deposit that $100 for the awful road case back in my account and all that, hopefully even this week. It might be like the country song that's played backwards. Uh, what does that mean? Didn't you ever hear that joke? What happens when you play a country song backwards? No. You get your job back, your dog <laughs> comes back, your yeah. wife comes back, you stop drinking. Yeah, yeah, exactly. All that stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, that's it. Let's like, play some you got music. Nothing for the intro. No, I've got nothing for the intro. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm karmically tapped. <laughs> well, this song has a cool story, but uh, you want to play it? Yeah, let's play. It. Let's check it out.
that? That was Lev Zherbin. <laughs> What'd you call me? <laughs> I didn't call you anything, but okay. I was speaking the name of Lev Zherbin. And where'd you get that music, Rich? <laughs> You're asking on cue. He's my straight man. <laughs> he's the. This is my job. I'm, I'm like the, Ed McMahon. He's the Abbot to my Costello. <laughs> <laughs> I'm an Abbot. Yes, that's me. Well, I emailed Inna. And who, who is, is Inna, Rich? Inna, Inna, Inna is the woman who sang Cherkuma Leda de la Drum, that sort of gypsy Russian folk song thing that we played from Romashka a few months ago. And who is Romashka, Rich? <laughs> so I emailed her and asked if they would be posting any more songs to the PMN, the Podsafe Music Network. And she said, well, I will. But in the meantime, my favorite composer in the world, my fiance has some songs on his website. So she gave me a link to like the hidden directory that she only gives it to like people with podcasts and radio play and stuff like that. Cool. Let's start using our FTP server too. Yeah, we can just upload and store our shows there and stuff. And what was that one called? Watermelon and Easter Hay? <laughs> Close. Bagel on the Malacon. Bagel on the Malacon. A lot of flavor in that song. Strings. Very cool. Strong melody. So that's the third bagel I've had today. Well, there you go. I had two bagels for breakfast. Mm-mm-mm. Yeah. So, saw something, actually I saw saw this on um, do, 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 that website, they're on our blog, what's the, uh, Truth Out. Truth Out. Yeah, Truth Out actually hipped me to this article, and it's a school district, right, near Seattle. Yes. That has, what was the word they used? They put a moratorium. They've placed a moratorium on doing the right thing. On playing the inconvenient vooth. <laughs> <laughs> the indescribable film. The That's a lot like truth. the Levicious Biddies. Right. No, it's an inconvenient truth. Some rather, well, what I would call radical uh, type religious person who believes the world is what, 14,000 years old? Yeah, 14,000 years old. It's flat. Com- complained. And, and yeah. the school put a moratorium on... The film, and that's just some sort of bizarre euphemism for we are banning the film. What really irks me about this, you sent this article and and I'm reading and I'm thinking, well, you know, I could understand if someone has some uh, differing opinion about the science behind uh, global warming or, or what Al Gore is trying to put out in this film. But then it goes into the bizarre where they point out about this person being one of these radical, radical fundamentalists who who just has all these bizarre feelings. And and one of the statements that that caught me was, they shouldn't have condoms in school and neither should they have Al Gore or something like that. I'm like, wait a minute. (laughs) This is a scientific proposal. I mean, even if it's just theory, even if you don't believe it, there's nothing wrong with putting that out there and then having the teacher say, let's discuss this. You know, maybe you can come up with some differing opinions and let's talk about it in class. Or or show the film which scientifically disproves everything Al Gore is is showing in his... PowerPoint presentation of a film, which was yeah. a great film. I talked about it on the show. It's not about creationism. It's about global warming. It's about the, the Earth's temperature rising and the the scientific causes of it. I, as far as I'm concerned, it's great. Let's play it everywhere. Debate it if you want. But, man, bringing religion into it, it's odd. Well, I, you know, and I look at these people and you can – so you're not going to defend them. Absolutely not. Are you kidding okay. me? <laughs> Just because I'm a religious person, you think I'm going to defend this? It's, you're not going to defend it? No. <laughs> okay. Well, <laughs> if you're looking for a debate from me, wrong house. <laughs> well, it just it bugs the heck out of me because, you know, every 
bit of science that we have disputes the idea that the Earth is is only 14,000 years old. So someone who believes this is in this huge amount of denial about the world around them, you know, to the point, and I'm going to say it out loud, to the point of perhaps like mental illness. I mean, if you really believe the Earth is only 14,000 years old and that Adam and Eve were the first two human beings put on the Earth and we weren't, most of the people that I know, and I mean people like you, who still kind of... uh are into a religious model of how things work, say, okay, God probably, or God did create the earth, but he created those first living cells, those first microorganisms or something like that. Put the works in motion. Yeah, he put the works in motion. They've modified their model for the science that exists today. And that's fine if that's what they want to believe. I mean, and you know what? This is getting into the belief that, you know, God still put these two completely evolved humans on the earth naked with a snake and an apple fig in leaves. the Garden of Eden. Don't and, forget the fig leaves. No, I don't know. No condoms. <laughs> but fig leaves, yes. <laughs> well, as far as I know, and in, in everywhere that I've read, even Catholic bishops have said there is no contradiction between the scriptures that they study and evolution. So. You know, that's that's the stuff that I see. If you believe in God as a creator, you believe in God having the ability to do pretty much anything. And that means... But can he make put, a rock so heavy he can't lift it? <laughs> you know what? One of these days we'll, we'll put together one of those philosophical debate shows. And, and I've, got, uh, I've got lots of texts that, that actually prove that that's a, a specious argument. But anyways, different thing. Different I have thing. a proof that shows... Zero equals one, too, but that's something else and, entirely. And point nine repeating is one. That's true. So anyways... I, point to, nine to, bar. That's right. To me, evolution has nothing to do with with the, the religion that I practice. It, it means that there's some mysterious forces out there that caused us to evolve into the beings that we are. It, it caused the, the earth to develop into what it is. And there are a lot of things that we don't understand, and for some people like me, we believe that God had a hand in, in putting those works in motion. That doesn't mean that Al Gore shouldn't be in the school system. What it means Al Gore is Satan. <laughs> yeah. Al Gore is the devil child. I don't child. know, maybe he's Satan? Well, yeah. That's yeah. what I was going for. I was yeah. going for the church lady thing there, but yet, you know, it didn't work. <laughs> I was groping, and yet I did not find. And I'm gra- glad you were groping from the other side of this table. <laughs> Me too, actually. So you're not <laughs> alone there, mister. Good. We're, once again, in agreement. So, yeah, the people of Seattle, watch out. Al Gore is basically like a condom, is what they're saying. <laughs> Al Gore is a giant walking used condom. <laughs> I know some people in, in uh, political circles that might agree with that. And religious circles, actually. Oh, this is just totally baffling to me. You know, the as I said before, this is a complete denial of the world around them, you know. I don't see how anyone can possibly believe when they go to a canyon, for example, and see the different layers, you know, and then there are ways to demonstrate how long it took these processes to occur. I mean, I know a guy who's at least 12,000 years old. So, I mean, you know, how can it just be 14,000 years old, you know? Well, you know what? The argument always is God is omnipotent. He can do anything. George Burns was at least 11,000 years old when he died, right? I mean. No, he was no more than 1,200, so don't push it. <laughs> oh, okay. You know, and, and for me, having studied philosophy and the philosophy of religion, as far as I'm concerned, no philosopher, even even believer philosophers, think that God is a mischievous kind of God. 
They're not going to say God puts all of this evidence around us to deceive us into thinking that the earth is billions of years old when it really isn't. What purpose would that be? I mean, there's no logic in that. Well, I thought it was Einstein who said God does not throw dice, but it was Hawking who said, yes, he does, and he throws them where we can't see them. <laughs> right. So and that implies a mischievous God to me, if there is one. Well, he, he throws them in a way that we can't understand, is, is the way I believe. Yet. Yet. Well, and, and that's the thing. We're striving to understand, is, and in, in my opinion, the ways of God, and in your opinion, the ways of the, of the universe. And... Uh, as we are evolving as species, as are all species on the planet, and our technology and science is evolving as well. Absolutely. Yeah. And and I remember hearing one argument from someone like this this person who believes the world is like 1,400 days old. <laughs> and, and and they basically said that, oh, yeah, of course your, your, uh, your science is going to come up with an age of the earth that's like billions of, of years old because you've designed those those instruments to come up with those numbers. <laughs> well, that's I'm like, yeah, that's a classic argument though, right? I but mean, they're doing the same thing. You know, they've made a conclusion and they're trying to fit their facts into that conclusion. If, if that were a valid argument, it would be easy to get out of every DWI breathalyzer test. That's well, right. you designed that instrument to show that I was drunk and, and there could be margins of error within the instrument, but they do calibrate them. No, what they've, what they've, what they're saying is the road is was designed in such a way to make it look like I was swerving. <laughs> I wasn't swerving. I was driving perfectly straight, but the road is is curved in such a way that you look drunk. Your evil god changed various physical constants of the universe, like the speed of light, so that when your radar gun bounced off my car, it was wrong. That's right, and I think that radar that radar gun is the work of the devil. <laughs> So I, I expected a little more of a debate on this one. I thought you were going to. I thought you were going to defend the wacko Why? guy a little more because you're, you're you're a total nut job, dude. I mean, I've already had this discussion with you before. Because I'm a believer doesn't mean that I'm a psychopath. <laughs> well, okay. I, I thought you were. My apologies. That makes me kind of sad, right? <laughs> so to think that you lump me in the same group as this this uh, this whack job. <laughs> I, I don't actually, not at all. You're close, but I just noticed there's little moose guys on our on our tablecloth today. Yeah, this tablecloth is actually it's an ersatz tablecloth. It's it's really a blanket or a sheet from a bed. It's flannel. It's flannel, yeah, and it's got little like what was that guy called? It's it's uh, hey, Rocky. It's a uh, it's a uh, Rocky Bullwinkle. and Bullwinkle, yeah. yeah. Which one was who? Bullwinkle Rocky the, the squirrel. Moose. Rocky was a flying squirrel. Yeah, yeah. Hey, Rocky. <laughs> <laughs> which one was that? I'm doing a voice that I remember, and I'm not sure which guy. Was that the moose? You're doing your impersonation of someone doing an impersonation of Bullwinkle. <laughs> yeah, well, he kind of sounded like that, well, you know? <laughs> Watch me pull a rivet out of the hit. Yeah. Something ping, like that. Ping, ping, ping. Yeah, we've watched way too many cartoons when we were Ricochet kids. rabbit. Now, that's another thing. The coyote. When did he evolve to the point where he could use, like, anvils? <laughs> How do they explain that? <laughs> yeah, and paint, like, fake tunnels on the sides of mountains that roadrunners could go through, but he couldn't. Now, I believe a coyote could probably use an anvil, and I believe a coyote may even have a prehensile tail, or he might have an opposable thumb kind of thing going on where he could build contraptions, but I do not believe that he had a telephone or a mail system to, to communicate with no, the no, Acme no. What, company. What you're failing to realize is that he had none of those things, but he was good friends with Rube Goldberg. <laughs> Rube. That's, that's what you're missing here. Hey, what are we drinking? Oh, uh, the typical hooch. No, this one's uh, this is actually really good. I'm enjoying this quite a bit. This is um, It's been chilling on in the wine cellar here for like months. 
Yeah, this is a 2003 McLaren Vale Shiraz. Hugo. Hugo. Yeah, and not you know Migo. Hugo. It's a screw cap madness. It's, it's more of that screw cap madness, I and, know. And this is really good. I'm going to try to find some of this. Where'd you get this? Bremer's. Bremer's? Yeah, I got that at Bremer's. That's pretty much the only place I go to. It's uh, the biggest wine store in the, the Utica area. This is quality stuff. I mean, I'm not saying it's quality stuff for a screw cap. It's quality stuff bar none. Well, you know, I, I don't mean to brand on your parade, but I only bring over quality stuff, dude. I'm not bringing over the Ripple. My, my name is not Red Fox. Well, next time you come over and you bring wine, I want to make sure that it's in a wicker basket. It's got one of those little bottles. You know what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. That table Chianti. Quickly, uh, I want to talk about something here that's a total non sequitur. Downer. You were talking about Bear Grylls being in that slot canyon. He's a, he's a little girl. And wrong guy, no. You were talking about him being in that slot canyon, yeah. and I saw that episode. I saw it again. And he yeah. was in Moab in Utah, That's right. and he said that place has like a thousand of those slot canyons in there. Yeah, and I saw him dive under there, and then he had to climb out at the end. Did you see what he did with the, the I think it was crow's eggs? He just cracked one right into his mouth, but yeah, then he, he fried one on the rock. He climbed up this cliff face, and he found a crow's nest, because he was you know really hungry, obviously, and uh, he found two eggs, and he's sitting there hanging on this cliff, reaches up, grabs an egg, cracks it into his mouth, eats the whole thing, and then stuffs the shell Shelling, down. Yeah. yeah. And then he went and fried one on the rock outside in the sun because he didn't want to risk uh, salmonella, which isn't going to happen with fresh eggs. I have a friend who's a raw foods guy, mm-hmm. and he's never been ill from bacterial infection ever, and he eats like five raw eggs a day. He eats raw beef, he eats raw everything. Well, you know my position on raw eggs. I'll definitely use that in baking product. You know, when I make... Royal icing. I make real royal icing with with fresh raw egg whites. It's all about the freshness of the yeah. food. I mean, yeah, I don't have the the eggs sitting around like room temperature for months. And I say, you know what? I'm going to throw up some uh, royal icing with that egg white. I'm going to make some Hollandaise sauce. Yeah, <laughs> Hollandaise. I'm going to make some Hollandaise. Hollandaise. Yeah. No, and and you know what? Bear Grylls. This guy, he's he's the real deal, but I think that the format of his show could be a little bit more challenging. I think he is a tougher guy than the guy who's in Survivor Man, yeah. but, but the Survivor Man guy is taking greater risks, and what he does is, I think, a little bit more interesting. He literally tries to simulate a, a scenario where he's lost, and he'll come, he'll, he'll be prepared with something. Like, I saw one episode where he was in the desert as well. And he was pretending that he was a biker in the desert, like riding a bicycle, But that's what biker. Bear Grylls does this, that, too. They try to create a scenario. Like the one when he was in Alaska was creating a scenario like a lost skier. And they put him on a mountaintop. They didn't tell him which one it was. Mm-hmm. They don't give him a compass. He doesn't have a GPS. Well, neither does this other guy. Right. Well, that's what I'm saying. It's not like he knows where he is and he knows which way he's got to go. He can guess which way he's got to go, but he doesn't know where he is. But he has a camera crew with him. Yeah, but they don't give him any clues. They don't interact with him. Yeah, but it's a different experience when you're all alone. That may be true, but the camera crew isn't helping him. I mean, in times of, I'm sure they have a gun, and if a grizzly was charging at him, those guys would pop off a few rounds at the grizzly. So they would he's throw their not, cameras at him. He's not entirely on his own. And if he broke his leg, they're going to get on the satellite phone and call in and get a get a copter, I'm sure. But Grills is is a tough guy. If he got on what was that show? Um uh the were they Survivor? You, the gross food and yeah. Oh, um 
The one with Joe Grogan. Joe Rogan. Yeah. If he was on there, he would win because he's a climber. He's not afraid of heights. He's not afraid of gross food. I mean, there's nothing. Fear factor. Fear factor. There's nothing he wouldn't do. Fear is not a factor for Bear Grylls. That's all I have to say. Are you his publicist all of a sudden? No, but the guy's guy's impressive, without a doubt. Well, if you look at Survivor Man, he doesn't have the credentials, like the whole military background, and, and he doesn't have like the world record holding kind of activities on the side but what he did do is he went off the grid in fact he's got a new show coming out i think maybe in discovery channel it's called off the grid where he and his family literally just go out into the outback and they build a house and and live off the land no electricity anything and they're completely off the grid and they're just following them and this guy's this guy's dedicated to that it's not like he it's a shtick with him it's that's his lifestyle well cool and and what I was going to say about that that episode where he was in the desert, Moab, you mean? Uh, no, not Bear Grylls, the other guy. I can't remember which desert he was in, but he was riding his mountain bike, and he pretended to crash, and he even you know did the whole you know deal where he's um, he's left with nothing, but he used all of the bark the bike parts to help him. You know, he used the the rubber of the tire, and he took the the spokes out and used those for, for implements. So he actually cannibalized... He used spokes to make sutures, <laughs> like stitch himself up <laughs> he with his like bike spokes. Frankenstein at the end of it. And in one, he pretended he was in a plane crash, and they, they left like a part of a plane there, and he used some of the materials from the plane. He turned the fork into a knee replacement, I think. I think he did hip surgery out in the wild. <laughs> hip replacement. <laughs> He used his bike computer and did brain surgery. <laughs> no, no. He was like E.T. What he did is he constructed a phone and he went and phoned home. Yeah. Anyway. So, yeah, these guys are, are tough bastards. Bottom of the line, to sum up what we've just said, Bear Grylls banned in the Seattle School District. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and for no good reason. For condoms. I think, I think he got caught with condoms. So we get another tune, don't we? Yeah, let's dig it. I think let's, you've heard these people before. Yeah, this, I guess we'll dedicate this one to Kirsten, who actually went out to the this band's blog and harassed them. <laughs> or right. harassed them, depending on which, which side of the pond you're from. That's right. <laughs> anyway, let's check it out. Last we left our hero, he was standing all alone At an ATM machine, they were both very out of order Quite predictably that picture that had been painted of the morning It had begun to crack and peel, a photo finish of surreal Is it true that we are nothing more than boxes sitting in the basement? The more that we keep looking, the harder we are to find But the record keeps on spinning while the volume's way down The needle takes its time, falling in and out of life It's been a, a strange day in Mexico A strange day in Mexico A strange day Everything that we used to do is never quite what we want to do But say la vie, and so it all goes until we think something is missing again A hero looks out of the bubble and he pours himself another And the wonder starts to fade away from the outside looking in From the outside looking We have a tendency to hide behind obscurity But every 
beautiful Why do we hide it all? When you get to where you need to be Won't you drop me a line? If the music's out of tune At least I hope you like the view It's been a, a strange day in Mexico A strange day in Mexico Well, it's been a, a strange day in Mexico A strange day in Mexico Well, it's been a, a strange day in Mexico Why is this stuff always happening to me? Well, it's been a, a strange day in Mexico Such a strange old day Such a strange Clinton's Strange Day in Mexico. <laughs> That's a great song to clean your gun to, I'd say. I, you know what? I was thinking the same thing when I heard that song. I, <laughs> it was like a, a quote from Christopher Walken, the way you phrased it. I was thinking the same thing. <laughs> That's, That's, the, That's the kind of upbeat kind of thing I like to clean my gun to. <laughs> it, it's totally different context, though. <laughs> Oh, I'm going to have to go wash my ears out. Oh, my God. No condoms, though, man. <laughs> so, uh, you have any strange experiences with um, your people at the Munz Institute? <laughs> Other than not being allowed to bring my umbrella in when it was raining a few weeks ago, no. Or your gun. That's because it wasn't clean. I hadn't heard <laughs> that song yet. Okay. But I did see a film. You did. It made a lot of critics' top ten lists. In fact, I get to the films pretty early so I can have my seat. And um, <laughs> Do you lick it first? No. Make sure nobody touches it? No, no. I, I iron it. <laughs> I press it very neatly with my buttocks. And you, you put your doily down on it to make sure that your flesh doesn't press against anything else? And in keeping with the theme of this film, the doily is, is very appropriate, actually. I wanted to see this. This is a film called The Queen. Oh, yes. <laughs> and we're not talking about... Someone in drag. We're talking about no. We're, we're talking Queen of about England. the Queen of England, and this film made a lot of critics. In fact, most critics top ten lists. And this is a film. I think everybody kind of knows. Or maybe I don't know. Do you know what the film's about? Um, the Queen. Well, it's Queen about Elizabeth. It's about that week 
after from the moment when Lady Diana died in Paris because of the whole deal with the paparazzi and all that chasing mm-hmm. her up until the point where the queen basically finally made a public statement acknowledging the fact that someone who used to be a member of HRH as it's called in the movie which I believe must stand for her royal house probably yeah cuz they kept talking about lady die not even being a member of HRH anymore and i was thinking well that probably means her royal house anyway it's about that it's about that week and we obviously we have n- it's all fictionalized of course we, sure. we we see the queen played by helen mirren it's a really brilliant performance and tony blair is played by michael sheen and uh the queen's husband is played by um oh i just had it james cromwell who's always great mm-hmm. i always liked him he, he shows up in all these odd different roles all the time and it's kind of interesting because i never even thought of the the queen as having a partner because their lives are so private I didn't know if she he had died long ago or whatever, but apparently not. But she does have a partner. She's she's the one on the throne, not the yes, guy. He is not a king. He is the queen's husband. He's the prince. He is a prince, yeah. So this film is about that week where the queen kind of wanted to be solemn and stolid and do what the queenly thing, you know, the royals don't make public statements about. And, and of course, we all know that the queen probably didn't like Lady Diana. And all of right. that. She wasn't uh, well-respected by the royal family. But to point out what uh, one of the characters who played Prince Charles said, these, this woman is the mother of one of the men who will eventually be king right. of England. You know, So you have to show some kind of respect. But the queen kept uh, kind of sticking to her guns. And one of the, the highlights of the film for me was the way the scenes were written between the Tony Blair uh, character and the queen. Because he was so, so delicately trying to point out that she must do something, make an acknowledgement, something, in order to acknowledge the queen's death because her loyal subjects, i.e. the citizens of England, were in need of some comforting statement or something from the queen. They really wanted to have that. I don't know if you remember this, and I kind of had forgotten it until they cut in some real TV footage uh, in front of Buckingham Palace, but do you remember how the flowers just kept getting bigger, piles and, and piles. bigger yeah. until it was like 300 feet long and 300 feet wide, completely blocking the gate? Well, I completely forgot about it as well. And, and oddly enough, two nights ago there was a a show about Lady Di. I think it was because of an anniversary or some sort. Mm. She. It was the end of August when it happened. I was actually living in Ohio at the time. Oh, so was it I, in August? Yeah, it was. Mm. It was like August 30th or something like that, 97. Well, anyways, there, there was a show that was essentially trying to make the case that it was a conspiracy that the <laughs> that the that MI six or MI five was involved in, in having her offed, and I I have a hard time believing that just because someone is annoying to you that you would off them. Yeah, I it, look, I I don't even think the Queen knows Bear Grylls. I mean. <laughs> <so>. <laughs> And if she did, she probably hasn't had any of his eggs. <laughs> right. So, wh- again, what what really uh, I found impressive was, A, the writing of the scenes and the acting of the scenes between Tony Blair, the Tony Blair characters, kind of delicately trying to impress upon the queen that she needs to say something. And then as time went by and her loyal subjects were getting a little more agitated and Blair was reading the polls correctly, well, because they're polls, but he was reading the mood of the country correctly and... So a week later, he finally made a call, and he, as de- delicately as can possibly made, be made to a, a royal, he demanded <laughs> four things, apparently. I'm not sure I remember all of them. but He wanted a plane? 
$5 million. <laughs> in cash. Well, he wanted the queen. The queen had agreed. She finally relented, or what's the word I want? Relented. No. She relented. Yeah, she relented and said, okay, I'll make a statement. And he had said something like, well, this time, the time for statements is past. It's, you just can't make a statement and issue it and have it published in the paper anymore. You need to be seen. Now you must be in a cabaret act. <laughs> That's right. With Liza in Bob Fosse-type clothing. He'll do the lighting, though. And tap. tap. As we tap dancing. <laughs> and I, I'm not sure I remember all of the things, but apparently the flag only flies on Buckingham Palace when the queen is in residence. When she's not in residence, the flag doesn't fly. And those are the only times the flag flies, and it never flies at half-mast. But... Blair had apparently made their kind request that the flag fly at half-mast, which is unheard of in hundreds of years, uh, that she make a TV statement, make a, an appearance in front of her subjects somehow. And I'm not sure I remember them all, but apparently she gave in and relented and, and did all of them, which was what was required. And I get the feeling after having seen this film, and all the performances were brilliant, and you should really see it because it kind of gives us a little look at what it might be like inside the royal's life in Buckingham Palace and all of that kind of stuff. And she and she did have like a, a kind of queenly resemblance too. I mean, I think they not did a just great... a little. <laughs> yeah, I mean, she was. It was striking. It was striking, and the guy who played Blair, spot on. Really, he could have been Blair. This could have been like Dave, that film with Kevin Klein. That might have actually been Tony Blair in the movie, and it was like the actor Michael Sheen over in England when they were filming the movie. I don't know. Agree with his politics or not? I think it's it's always interesting to watch Tony Blair speak. Oh, yeah. It's a stark contrast to He's our smooth. own leader. <laughs> well, actually, he modeled himself after Clinton. Did he? Oh, very much, yeah. I mean, that? I saw 2020 or something do a segment on when Blair was running, how he perfectly emulated and modeled his campaign after Clinton's. And then they would cut in moments of speeches from both of them, and they were just doing everything identically. Yeah, he totally modeled his prime ministership after Clinton. He's, he's a brilliant speaker, though. I oh, I definitely think he is. But yeah, definitely check this film out. Some great performances going on. A really uh, insightful or interesting look into the life of the royals. And I must say, though, after having seen this film and not having thought about this tragedy in the past 10 years, this isn't going to make the rest of the world look kindly upon the royals. Because, I mean, in watching this film, you just want to slap the queen and like Benny Hill or something and go, hello, everyone in your country needs you right now, and you're not there for them. I mean... That's just not cool. Well, I haven't seen it, but I, I suspect that there was probably a lot of isolation going on. I mean, there's such an, a, a rarefied kind of environment that they think that, that the universe sort of revolves around them, I would think. Yeah. Well, you know, they were picked by God, apparently. I think the... About 14,000 years ago. <laughs> I, I think the monarchy is a bit of an anachronism and, you know, it can be done without. But then again, I talked to my relatives who live in and around London and they don't have a problem with the monarchy. You know, if, apparently if you're it's in It's comforting, England, I suppose. It's comforting and it's it's... It's been there. It's It should always be there. Yeah, kind of like the world since, you know, at least 14,000 years. That's right. Well, the queen is about that old, actually. No, stop. You know, you keep making these gross oversimplifications. I mean, George Burns was only 1,200. <laughs> and the, the queen, queen is... was maybe nine at best. <laughs> 100, that is. Yeah, that's right. So, yeah, check it out. Good film. Some great performances. And uh, this was the most crowded film I've ever seen at Munson. They exceeded the theater's legal, like, fire marshal limit of people because they set up chairs, folding chairs in the back. And they definitely exceeded. Standing room only? It was SRO totally. And, uh, yeah, really well done. Check it out. Anyway. Oh. Hey, now. Oh, You've been me. cut off. <laughs> no, I haven't. <laughs> I can turn the sound down. 
Don't do that. Anyway, uh, you've been listening to another episode of Leathers Vegetarians. Yes, you have. And I'm going to say my name again. We already said it, even though we forgot to. How about I say your name? Okay. That's Rich. And that's John, pointing at him. Yes, he is. He's pointing at me. Check out our website, www.bloodyveg.com. Check out the forum, which we got a new member. Thanks, Tim. www.bloodyveg.com slash forum. How sad is that? We announce every member on the show. I know. <laughs> Send us feedback to feedback at bloodyveg.com. And, um, I don't know. Have we're a good sell- life. We're selling condoms off the website, too, so go to bloodyveg.com slash condom. But they're not very good. They're 14,000 years old. Got a lot of pinholes in them. <laughs> anyway, remember, you've been listening to the VIB. VIB.